0: Hey, this is Dr. Gray, and I want to interrupt this podcast because I am thrilled to announce that my book, The Pre-Med Playbook, Guide to the Medical School Interview, is hitting bookshelves on June 6th, 2017, and I'm giving away a copy to 50 lucky winners. Also, if you pre-order a copy today from Barnes & Noble and submit your receipt to me, I will give you lifetime access to our 13-part video series on the medical school interview and one-month access to our brand new Amazing mock interview platform, starting whenever you want. That's almost hundred dollars worth of our products for pre-ordering the paperback book from Barnes and Noble. Text the word "pre-order" to four four two two two. Again, pre-order to four four two two two, and I'll give you instructions on how to enter the contest and how to submit your receipt. The pre-mid year session number two hundred and twenty-five. Hello and welcome to the two-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. I'm glad you have taken some time out of your day to listen to this podcast today, this is going to be an important one to answer your questions about osteopathic medicine. I had the great pleasure of interviewing the junior national director of pre-SOMA, Rachel, and she shares with us her story and also a lot of the common questions that she gets about being an osteopathic medical student, about being a pre-med interested in osteopathic medicine, and so much more. Let's go ahead and dive right in. Rachel, welcome to the pre-med year. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: When did you know you wanted to be a doctor?
1: Well, that's a loaded question. and I've been getting it a lot recently um, from the pre-med students that I've interacted with over this past year. Um, I guess it's pretty stereotypical in the fact that when I was around 5th or 6th grade, um, I started realizing that I liked the sciences that I was learning in school. And the first thing that came to mind is, oh, you're good at science, is that you can be a doctor. Um, You know, that was very naive of me when I was younger, but that's when the idea uh, first entered my mind. And um, I didn't have any doctors in the immediate family. My parents aren't doctors. Grandparents aren't doctors. So I didn't really know what it was like. Uh, we have some family friends who were doctors, but um, didn't really know about much of what they did um, and what their day-to-day was like. But it was just an idea that popped into my mind. So uh, when I... You know, got older and went into middle school. I focused on more science type of electives and was having a lot of fun. Again, to me, science equaled medicine and medical school, and not necessarily, you know, being a scientist or being a researcher or uh, even being a nurse or a physical therapist for that matter. To me, it was always equivalent
0: to. Why do you, why do you think that is? Because I think that's for most people. It's like, oh, science right? equals doctor.
1: Right. I mean, I don't know why. I think just from the limited exposure that I had to medicine at that point in my life, that was the really the only thing that I could equate it to at that time. Um, you know, I was young at the time. I didn't necessarily know whether or not I was more of a leader or I wanted to be more in control of my day-to-day, as many physicians are. Um, it was just the automatic equivalence to me that I really can't point out specifically. Um I don't know if if it stuck out for you in your mind as to when that happened, you know, science equals medicine and yeah. you know, not nursing, um or it, physical therapy. It didn't therapy. for
0: me. It was it was a totally different path for me, but but that that always seems to be the common theme from people. It's oh science doctor, yeah. science doctor. There's this and I don't know if maybe because just as we grow up and we interact with doctors and it's a, there are these cool people in white coats that give us antibiotics when we have ear infections and everything else. Right. So there's this, there's this mystique about them. So I don't, I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I think that definitely hits, you know, the nail on the head. There's that, there is this sort of mystique about it, this sort of, um, authority that you strive to be and have one day as a professional, you know, when I grow up, I want to have such authority. Um, And I just really didn't know much else about it. Um, And I think that's kind of what kept me focused on wanting to achieve it is that when I was young, I didn't have anyone to talk me out of it per se. Um, (laughs) I had parents who luckily very, very, very supportive um, since day one when I said I wanted to be a doctor. Um, And, you know, I went through middle school um, thinking that's what I wanted to do. And then I actually had a pretty unique experience in high school uh, growing up um, along the Jersey Shore the school system I was in in the county schools they had specialized public high schools that you could be tested into um, you know for lack of a better word uh, gifted and talented public schools and I found out about um, a medical sciences high school and I applied and I got in and I was so 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 excited and um, and, you know, from that day forward, again, it was medicine, medicine, medicine in high school, doctor, doctor, doctor in high school. Um, we, we had very limited exposure, actually, to nursing, to physical therapy, to dentistry, to occupational therapy, to becoming um, a medical research scientist. It was even in high school um, we had the unique opportunity um, to learn about what it is to become a physician. Uh, starting from rotations in the local hospital during our sophomore year, we got to follow around nursing staff and make beds uh, to taking on double the science course load uh, as a high school student, you know, taking a lot of AP courses um, in science and math and uh, we even had the lucky opportunity during our senior year of high school to we were so excited to be able to leave uh, high school early for the day to uh, complete some sort of internship and actually follow a doctor around and shadow a doctor around for uh, half of our senior year of high school. And I uh, got to do it with a plastic surgeon and it was so much fun. And by that point, um as a senior in high school, again, I was like, this is what I want to do.
0: What was it um, about? Was- what was it about shadowing and having those experiences that kind of reaffirmed in your mind that this early decision of ooh, science doctor is now like materializing into something real?
1: Right. Um, again, it was so cool to see the person in the white coat having such Um, influence, um, you know, over a person's health um, and a person's life and the decisions that they make, um, you know, for their health and for their future. And what was even cooler about this doctor is that it was a woman. It was a female plastic surgeon. And um, I'm sure you've had discussions with other people um, on the podcast here about, you know, how tough it is to to, um, as a woman, you know, consider a surgical subspecialty as a career. So she was just a great influence um, and so inspirational that if she can do it and have four kids and raise a family and be able to have such a profound impact on people's lives, um, then I can do it too. So she was a great mentor in that way for me. Um, Additionally, at the same time, actually, I was also working for, um, a family friend. Um, it was the closest doctor I knew to me at the time, um, a hematologist oncologist, and he offered me work in, uh, his, uh, office just for filing. Uh, you know, at that time it was just paper charts everywhere. Um, very busy office. So I was basically in charge of making sure all the charts were filed and put away. And I was answering phones. And, um, You know, it's definitely a different specialty from uh, the plastic surgeon um, and the kind of patients that they treated for the most part. So being able to see cancer patients treated as well, just reaffirmed that I wanted to have this sort of influence in other people's lives. Um, So kind of generic, but it's just I I was really profoundly influenced and in awe by these people so they were very motivating um in terms of being able to achieve my career and pursue my career choice
0: yeah so very sounds like very standard kind of exposure and and yes falling in love with with medicine
1: yeah did
0: you you went to a it sounds like a great high school that that exposed you to this Did you go straight into college and and straight through with with no problems, no hiccups and said, this is is easy, I got this? Or were there obstacles along the way?
1: Right. So that's where my story becomes a little bit less uh, bread and butter, a little bit less generic. Um, I got into a decent college. I got into NYU. That's where I wanted to go. Um, I thought it'd be all smooth sailing from there. I was like, all right, I'll declare a really science type of major. I started out with biology, of course. Like, can that get any more generic? Um, And it took one semester of college, being 18 years old, living in the heart of downtown Manhattan, and very quickly figuring out that I had no idea what I was doing.
0: In terms of what?
1: In terms of um, not knowing what I was doing, I I didn't know how to be in control of my studies. Um, I didn't know how to handle the vigorous pre-med curriculum um, well. Um, I didn't know how to study and stand out in a group of over 800 pre-med students <laughs> because that's how big my classes were at NYU. Uh, I remember my general chemistry lecture was like 850 students, and our lecture was in the Performing Arts Center at NYU, and we all had to take out our clickers for attendance, and I just didn't know how to stand out and make myself shine and really form an application that would be impressive and acceptable enough to enter medical school. Um, I, after a year of just taking, you know, the biology and the pre-med coursework, I I wasn't completely happy with how college was going. Um, And I ended up having a very close friend in college tell me that she was pre-med and wanted to go to medical school, Uh, but she actually was studying nutrition and food studies uh, at NYU. And she loved the program so much. She felt like she was learning a lot of the basic science coursework that could help her uh, in medical school. And she was also learning a lot about diet um, and, you know, foods that may help, you know, certain health conditions. Um, And she was on track uh, just in case if medical school didn't work out on becoming a registered dietitian. And she actually, it didn't take much convincing from her to have me switch over to a nutrition and food studies major. And I did keep the pre-med coursework as well um, while I was at NYU. Uh, but I, the pre-med coursework remained, for some reason for me, very difficult to stay afloat in. I think I needed more one-on-one attention from my professors, which is really hard to do, you know, studying in a massive sea of pre-med students there. Um, I didn't really know where to start in terms of volunteering um, and extracurriculars that not only I would enjoy, but would also look good on my med school application. Um, So uh,
0: let me... Let me stop you there for a second. You're at NYU, not a a small liberal arts school in the middle of nowhere. I'm assuming they had or have pre-health offices and advisors. Was it something where you just you didn't know the questions to ask and who to ask them to? Or did you just didn't did you not get the support that you needed?
1: That was. It was kind of a combination of both, I'd say. Um, I think the university itself was so large um, and there was so much correspondence being sent out and so many emails being sent out and, you know, hearing um, different views from different people. I didn't even know how to access the pre-med, the pre-health office and their services, probably for a good two years of, <laughs> of college. Um, and... I also didn't feel like they really, when I was there, that they were giving me the support that I needed. Um, I think I needed a little bit of hand-holding in the beginning, Um, and they were just very grade-centric, grade-focused. They're like, well, you're not getting A's in your pre-med classes. Uh, We do not encourage you to apply to med school, Um, and if you do, we can't really help you because your grades aren't great. (laughs)
0: Um, that's the, that's the nasty little trick that pre-health advising offices won't tell you is that because, because in their mind, you didn't meet the qualifications, they don't want to help you because then they can leave you off of their stats and say, look, we have a 98% acceptance rate to medical school. It doesn't include all these other people that we denied that had a 3.5 and we didn't think they were going to get in.
1: Right. Exactly. Um. And yeah, I had no idea that's how they worked there, so when I, the few times I was there, I left so discouraged. Um I did not want to give up my major. I did not want to give up my dream of applying to medical school, but I wish that I had someone in that office there tell me, well, if you can't do it this way because your grades are like this, then let's think of another way that we can do this and can make (laughs) this work for you. There's only one way. (laughs) God forbid they do that. God forbid they actually, you know, do their job a little bit more. (laughs) Um, so it took until like the end of med school when I did start picking up the books to study for the MCAT, um, like, like you asked, um, did you go straight through? I did not. It took me like till the end of my junior year, beginning of senior year to realize um, through a mentor. I met with a mentor that I, I did see outside of NYU um, for tutoring, for mentorship, um, that I decided it would be wise to focus on what was weak on my med school application and take one to two years to strengthen those weaknesses. And that's exactly what I did. So I took two years off before getting into medical school.
0: What? How did you determine what was weak in your application?
1: So this guy took the time with me to lay everything out on the table. Um, at that point, you know, we went over grades. We went over GPA. Uh, I did get in a bunch of extracurriculars. I did get some really good volunteering and job opportunities. I actually did end up working. Um for money uh, throughout all four years of med school in some sort of medical-related field. Um, I did do research in New York City, and then I also ended up working for the Department of Health of New York City, which was amazing. I had a great time, but I also learned I didn't want to do public health at the end of it. Um, so we laid out everything of my application. You know, If we took a snapshot today of what your application looks like, what can we pinpoint that can be better? And for me, it was and before that point, um, I had not taken my MCAT. Um, it was everything up until that point before the MCAT. And we saw um, that my nutrition grades were ex- excellent. I love studying nutrition and food studies. I had a 3.8, 3.9 uh, nutrition GPA. Um, you know, I would have gotten into any dietetic internship that I wanted to if I wanted to become a dietitian, Um But it was my pre-med science GPA that was not good at all. It was like a 2.7, which Mm -hmm. was embarrassing. I didn't even realize that because when you get your GPA calculated online through your transcript, it's just, you know, your pre-med and your nutrition grades compiled together. So we took them apart and figured out what my pre-med science GPA was. And it was a 2.7. He said... This is what we need to fix. This is what you need to focus on over the next one to two years um, before you submit your applications. And that's exactly what I did. Um, yeah, so did, I, did you
0: take post-bac classes?
1: Yeah, I so I asked him first and I get these questions a lot, you know, from the pre-meds that I speak to. Um I asked him first, well, can I do some sort of master's program? You know, I'm in New York City. There's so many great master's programs. I can go to Columbia. A lot of my NYU friends went to Columbia and other great schools for master's programs. He said, kid, Rachel, it's your undergrad grades that need improving. Why would you take grad classes if you need to fix that undergrad GPA box on your application? Um, so instead, we decided that instead of enrolling in an official postbac program since at that point I really had completed all of my you know general premed sciences, um we decided that I would enroll in a local university um, that has a good reputation and just register for a buttload of um, science courses so I applied to Rutgers University, being from New Jersey, be in-state, much cheaper tuition. Um, and I got accepted three days later, which was very exciting. Nice. And, <laughs> and I started uh, building my course load, and I started registering for as many biology classes as possible. Um, you know, including cell and molecular biology, um, embryology. Um, I decided to retake physics because my grades at NYU weren't stellar. Um, and that's where I started. Um, okay. I did get some, you know, for people who are listening, I did get some pushback from Rutgers. I was um, registering for a lot of 400 level biology courses. And they're like, You know, Rachel, you don't have the prerequisites. We understand that you graduated college, but you don't have the prerequisites to be taking such uh, high-level science courses. So I went back to my mentor, and I said to him, like, what do I do? He said, go into their office and state your case to them and tell them that you will not let them down and you will ace those courses. So I went in. I met with the head of the biology department at Rutgers University. I said, I will not let you down. Please let me into these courses. And that's what
0: he did. <laughs> nice.
1: And I took 60 credits of uh, wow. coursework that year okay. um, between two summer sessions, fall and spring. Uh, and I finished with a 3.99999. <laughs> it was very close to a 4.0. <laughs> and um, at that same time, um, uh one of the professors took a liking to me and he let me into his uh molecular biology lab and I did bench re- research while I was there too.
0: Nice. So yeah, you it was a good time. Yeah, so you are in medical school now as an osteopathic student. You were yeah. able to take advantage of this little known thing called grade replacement that the the Acomas application used to have. And yes. now it doesn't. Uh, I'm interested to know uh, your thoughts. Like, why? So, you were able to take advantage of that and it helped you get into a school. Do you know your pre grade replacement grade and your post grade replacement grade?
1: I'm actually not familiar with that grade replacement term. So, I'm not sure if my grades were replaced or they were actually just built in and, um, you know, Blended in on top of what I had already had. Yeah. Um. But I know that before I took all those classes, um, I had around a two point seven, and in the end, I had around a three five three six science GPA.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So grade replacement for for those listening that don't know, and and for you. So on the Acomas application, when you applied to Do schools, any classes that you repeated, you didn't put any credit hours in for the the old um, the old class and then the new class you put credit hours in the grade that you got and so that was counted towards your GPA and it's a okay. new policy change for the 2017 application cycle for 2018 acceptance is that they're no longer doing it they're doing it the way that the the MD application works where all the grades are counted and they're just all averaged together so okay big change uh, unfortunately for those that are in the process of going to a post back and and all, all of a sudden, are told, "Guess what? Your post-bac classes are no longer going to replace your old ones. They're just going to be average." So,
1: yeah, it does oh, make wow. it harder. It can make it exponentially harder. I, I realize how hard after completing a whole degree how how much harder it would take to build up that GPA. So,
0: <laughs> what would you have done differently, knowing what you know now, going to NYU? would you still have gone to NYU knowing that you wanted to be pre-med? Was it, was it just too hard of a pre-med school or would you have just not done the the biology major and surrounded yourself with all these pre-med students?
1: Right. Um, I think first my, my first thought was, Oh, I should not have gone to NYU. Um, You know, I have a lot of friends who since I did go to this pre-med high school. Right. A lot of my friends who I went to high school with ended up at, you know, the state university like Rutgers. And they were able to be rock stars in programs like that and go straight through to medical school. So that was my initial regretful feelings like, oh, you know, I should have done what they did, I should have just stayed in state, you know, um, experienced college differently, you know, in a big campus school and have gone straight through. But it, you know, almost entering my fourth year in medical school, it's, it's unbelievable to think how fast it's going by. I realized that being in NYU in New York City, honestly, was such a unique experience for me. Um, I was able to grow up in a way differently than some of my colleagues had, you know, being, for lack of a better word, sheltered um, on campus schools that I really don't regret having that experience being in New York, being in a large school in New York City. Um, But like you mentioned, I kind of wish, um, you know, that, that I knew that I, it's okay to take time off, it's okay to take a few extra years before applying and going to medical school, that if I were to do it all over again, you know, I probably would have enjoyed myself studying nutrition and food studies um, or some sort of, you know, other uh, non-traditional type of major at a place like NYU, and then I would have probably done a post back program separately after I graduated so that I can really Feel like I was at my greatest maturity level and had the greatest level of focus um, to, you know, make my application as good as possible.
0: Okay, interesting. So, again, you're an osteopathic student now, and you kind of are a big shot in the the pre student osteopathic medical association world. What is your role in that in that organization?
1: Yeah, so pre-SOMA, the Pre-Student Osteopathic Medical Association, is actually the undergrad division of an even larger association. It's the Student Osteopathic Medical Association, um, which is the osteopathic medical students portal to the greater osteopathic community. And what a lot of even osteopathic medical students don't realize is that we're the direct student voice to the American Osteopathic Association. Um, So SOMA, for medical students, gets uh, the students' voices heard on issues that affect them both in school and for their future careers as physicians. Um, So naturally, an organization like SOMA is going to want to be able to mentor and nurture those who are interested in Applying to osteopathic medical schools, so um, Soma and pre-Soma are nationally led by and solely by osteopathic medical students. So it's pretty busy, you know, we spend the day, you know, rotating through the hospital or sitting through class And then when we get home, we volunteer our time uh, To devote our energy and grow the organization Um, So pre-Soma currently has 1,200 pre-med members, um, many of which are part of 30 active chapters at universities nationwide. Um, And national pre-soma works hard to promote osteopathic medical profession, increase the number of applicants to osteopathic medical schools, and support the growth of aspiring osteopathic physicians at at all levels of uh, education. And we've had High school students reach out to us. We've even had professionals in their 30s and 40s looking for a change in their career. And we are here to help guide people who are interested in applying to medical school, help guide them into successfully applying and getting in.
0: That's awesome. So for, for you listening, pre-SOMA it would be the equivalent of the, the uh, pre-med AMSA Uh, um, for the allopathic Mm -hmm. world. Correct. All right. So in your role, I'm assuming you get a ton of questions about osteopathic medicine and I'm sure you're answering the same questions over and over and over again. So for this podcast, so we can answer the question once and just point people to this podcast, what do you think is the biggest, uh, uh, biggest misconception that students have when they reach th- th- when they're reaching out to you and ask questions about osteopathic medicine.
1: Um, I think the biggest misconception I'm sure you have heard this before, you know, from other osteopathic students and physicians, is that this was Plan B for us, mm-hmm. um, and that okay, well, just in case I don't get into an allopathic program, I'll apply do and if I get in, we'll see what happens because it's still better than having to go out of the country for medical school. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, I'm generalizing, but that's, that's yep. a question I've asked recently while meeting with uh, med students, um, pre-med students who are interested in applying to medical school. That being said, I am so excited to hear from pre-med students that they are solely specifically applying to osteopathic medical school because of the philosophy that it encompasses rather than it just being a plan b yeah um for me um it wasn't a plan b it was just i'm going to apply to as many medical schools as possible so that i could you know increase my chances of getting in um and for me um Osteopathic medical schools, those were the first schools that accepted me, so I knew they wanted me more than allopathic programs. Um, That being said, um, people don't realize um, that the people who still think that it's plan B, um, they're not enlightened to the philosophy that osteopathic medicine really encompasses, and that's why we're here to educate them and enlighten them and teach them as to why becoming a DO isn't plan B. It's a very special and exciting plan that um, they should really consider being part of.
0: Yeah, I, I think your your original discussion about plan B, it it used to be that the philosophy, and if you go on certain student position forms, that uh, it still is like, oh, your grades aren't good enough, apply to a DO school. And, and it's funny because when you actually run the numbers, statistically, it's harder to get into a DO school these days than an MD school. So I think more and more people are doing exactly what you did, that they're just increasing their odds and putting DO schools on the same level as MD schools and just saying, you know what, I want to be a physician, period. It doesn't matter what the letters are after my name. So I'm going to apply everywhere.
1: Right. And I do have to add something, which is just, it comes full circle. Um, I didn't even realize when I was young that the hematologist oncologist I was working for is a DO. Oh, nice! I didn't even realize that he's a DO and he was in the first graduating class of my school actually. So he was so excited to find out, you know, that not only was I going to osteopathic medical school, I was going to his school. So it's just funny how things do come full circle. Mm. And, um, Everything happens for a reason. So in terms of casting a wide net, applying to both DO and MD programs, um, really increasing your chances of becoming a physician, period. I'm a true believer in that everything happens for a reason. So I'm a true believer I was meant to become a DO and to really embrace the philosophy that it encompasses.
0: Yeah, awesome. What What is the biggest challenge for pre-med students that are interested in osteopathic medicine? What, what do you think is the biggest challenge for them to, to apply to DO programs without having much DO experience?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, if you were to scour my pre-SOMA email inbox right now, um, I would say the most emails that come in from, with questions from pre-med students is how do I shadow a DO? Um, Because right now, DOs encompass only one in four to one in five uh, practicing physicians in the country. And um, they do tend to be more geographically centered in some areas versus others. So, you know, me being from the Northeast, there's a lot of osteopathic physicians here. Same for other corners of the country as well. Um, Since... (laughs) pre-SOMA <laughs> is run only by two osteopathic medical students, me and someone else who's a fourth year about to graduate. Um, time is extremely limited for us to make a quote-unquote master list of DOs to shadow across the country because there's actually a lot more practicing DOs than you think. I think we just hit um a hundred thousand DOs in this country which is awesome. I got an email from the AOA a few months ago actually saying that and the answer that I usually have for these students um, is to go on to the AOA website, the American Osteopathic Association website. It's a really invaluable resource because they have the listings of um, all of the osteopathic state associations and we're there's contact info info listed for each state. Um, So for example, coming from New Jersey and um, working closely with members of my state association, I know that these associations would be thrilled. They would be so excited to hear from these pre-med students and would most certainly give out the contact information of of its active members who are willing to take students to come into shadow. Um, And... (laughs) A lot of the time, these students follow up saying, well, what if they say, no, you can't shadow. Well, what do I do next? I really want to shadow a DO before I apply to med school. And the answer that I give to these students uh, are, are often beyond the lines of osteopathic versus allopathic medicine. You know, I tell them to remain persistent and polite and to keep contacting these physicians and their offices Um Contact them in another way, like showing up to their office and handing, you know, your resume to their secretary. Um, I've done this several times throughout my academic career. Uh, I continue to do it, you know, (laughs) considering I'm going to be applying to residency soon. Uh, And in my experience, it's definitely opened up, you know, doors for me and really hasn't closed any, if you're polite about it. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I think as as pre-med students, as anybody, we're always skittish to to cold call somebody. And the, the fear of rejection is huge. And usually the response is no response. And I always tell students like, unless they tell you no, they're not telling you no. So you need to keep asking.
1: It's <laughs> so true. Um, yeah. I mean, and then another question that I do get is, you know, because of geography of where Dio's tend to have historically practiced, even though that's changing now, because we continue to open up more and more osteopathic medical schools. The next question I get from them is, well, what if there are no DOs to shadow where I live? Um, And that's understandable. um, But that's when I urge the pre-med students to become a pre-SOMA member uh, so that they can, you know, be open to events uh, and activities that are going on in their area. So those right. are the general questions that I get.
0: Okay, I wanna I wanna ask a little bit more about pre in one minute, but I have another question. Sure. That just popped up in my mind. The one of the big things I think in my mind that separates osteopathic physicians from allopathic physicians is OMT, like the the kind of thing that that defines you almost. Yes. But not every DO practices OMT. Do you think it's important for a pre-med student to shadow a DO specifically to watch OMT?
1: Uh, I personally do not think that they have to, you know, specifically watch someone doing OMT. Uh, They can watch YouTube videos on that. Um, (laughs) They can take an online course on it if they want to. Um, You know... If I can go into a little story, looking back on the hematologist oncologist, that it's that you know that's a DO, um, he never did OMT on his patients, yeah. um, and he probably could have, you know, especially in trying to comfort, um, you know, cancer patients who are in chronic pain um, and had other problems. Um, but I think being a DO is beyond the actual practice of using your hands for manipulation, and it's more about living by the tenets of osteopathic medicine and the philosophy behind it, and that osteopathic physicians are trained to consider the body as a whole first, and if I reflect upon my experiences with that doctor, the oncologist, even though he didn't necessarily practice OMT, the manipulation therapy with his hands, he still practiced his medicine in an osteopathic way in that he really took time to consider the patient as a whole, you know, about their social life, about what's going on at work, about what's going on at home, um, the way that he physically embraced patients and made them feel comfortable by giving them hugs um, or honoring their space when they desired it. Um, So I don't think a pre-med student needs to necessarily see OMT done in terms of being able to crack necks uh, and do muscle energy and to do cranial manipulation, um, but rather just see the more holistic type of approach that they give towards their patients. So, okay. no, I don't think they need to.
0: All right. Good answer. All right. Back to pre-SOMA. You mentioned that there are 30 chapters in the nation. I yes. find that inadequate. If somebody yes. listening is at a school that doesn't have a pre-SOMA chapter and wants to start one, what does that process look like?
1: That's a really good question, and I completely wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Uh, 30 chapters is inadequate. We actually do have a lot more chapters, um, but they have not been active for the past couple years. So, you know, we kind of take them off of that active list. That being said, the easiest thing that um, these students can do who are maybe interested in starting a chapter, being able to see if their school already has a chapter that might be inactive, is that they go onto our website. They go onto uh, studentdo.org slash presoma. Um, and you know, they click around and there's a tab there, start a chapter. And the uh, directions are pretty self-explanatory. Um, they can also shoot us an email, presoma at studentdo.org um, with the same question be like, Hey, Rachel, what's up? I heard you on that podcast. Um, I, you know, I'm interested in starting a chapter. Could you let me know, um, if my school already has one and we're more than, you know, able to help them out with that way. In fact, um, another way for them to get involved is I actually have pre-med students helping me with those kinds of tasks. So I have someone in charge of my database, keeping track of all the new members um, and uh, chapters. And uh, he's a pre-med student applying to med school now. So every year we kind of turn over that committee, those pre-med students who help us in that respect. So just contact us, email us. uh, We respond back really quickly. We're so excited to hear from you.
0: Yeah, and if you're applying to an osteopathic medical school and you have a leadership position in your extracurriculars about starting a a pre-SOMA chapter at your school, I mean, it it obviously shows that you're interested in osteopathic medicine. Yep. (laughs) What do you think is the, I I guess let let me ask more generally, not osteopathic, not allopathic, And what do you think is the hardest thing these days for pre-med students?
1: The hardest thing for pre-med students? Um, It's funny. I think the hardest thing for pre-med students still remains one of the hardest things for being a med student, too. Um, And it's something that I still experience to this day, um, is being able... To process all the information and advice that people give you, and what the right thing to do is, and when you need to decide for yourself what the right thing or action to do is, um, you know, you can have a lot of friends who are already in med school and be like, "Well, I did X, Y, and Z, so you should do X, Y, and Z." <laughs> um, That's why you know. this
0: podcast exists because
1: exactly, I
0: don't just listen to one person or I don't just tell my story and say, this is how I got into school. I talk to lots of people.
1: You know, I think that's the hardest thing um, or hearing from people. Well, my GPA was a lot higher than yours. So that's why I got in or my GPA is a lot higher than yours. So I am going to get in. And that's (laughs) so not true. You know, it's really hard to get lost in all the information and quote-unquote, you know, advice that people give you. Um, There needs to be a certain point, and it's really, really hard, where you need to gain the confidence and say, well, this is me. This is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to present myself. I'm going to take, you know, X, Y, and Z information from A, B, and C and take it for what it is, see how I can apply it. But I need to be confident in myself and in my application because if you're lucky enough to get to interview day at a medical school, They'll, they'll see right through you if you're not confident enough. Or, you know, they want They may ask you, well, why was your GPA kind of low? Well, what's your answer going to be to that? You know, oh, well, uh, my friends, they, they told me it was okay or they told me it wasn't okay. I know it's not that good, but look where I am. No, you need to be confident in your answers and say, you know, well, look at all the other good things that I've done, you know, to, to bring you to the table today. Um, I I really do think that's the hardest thing is, you know, being confident, um, and being able to process the information and advice that's given to you, but don't drown in it.
0: So Rachel, you talked about, or we talked about getting involved as a, a chapter. If somebody wants to start a chapter, how else can a a pre-med student out there start to get involved in the osteopathic world if they don't want to start a chapter?
1: Yes, yeah, so, sure. So starting a chapter is one of the ways you can become involved um, in pre-SOMA, but also there are other ways to get involved and to meet with osteopathic medical students and physicians all over the country. Uh, I'll guide you guys to the pre-SOMA website. It's studentdo.org presoma pre-SOMA. And on there, you are able to join. Our membership is free. And we have a few events that occur every year. Um, that are really, really exciting for you guys. Uh, This past fall, we had National Osteopathic Night Out where uh, we had 70 locations across the country where pre-med students over a cup of coffee to ask them anything and everything about osteopathic medical school. Uh, We have coming up in April, National Shadow Week, S-H-A-D-O Week. You see what I did there? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Where... We have participating um, colleges of osteopathic medicine across the country uh, opening up their doors uh, to pre-med students um, and to live a day in the life of a med student, from attending lecture to participating in OMT lab and uh, even meeting with admissions directors at their schools. Uh, And then also we have coming up early April as a DO Day on Capitol Hill, uh, where um, med students osteopathic physicians uh, anyone and everyone who represents the osteopathic medical community goes to washington dc and uh, meets with their congressmen and senators and discusses issues pertaining to the osteopathic medical community Uh, we do have two scholarships for pre-med students up Uh, for an open for this event in early April. that will be up on the website soon to apply to. And then lastly, every year there's the big DO conference. It's called OMED uh, that hosts uh, thousands of osteopathic uh, physicians, uh, medical students, and pre-med students. So there's a conference for everyone there. So uh, this past year in Anaheim, we had around 65 pre-med students come, and they had a blast and were able to rub shoulders with uh, doctors and med students.
0: All right, again, that was Rachel, the Junior National pre-Soma Director, sharing her story and hopefully answering a lot of your questions that you have if you are interested in being an osteopathic physician. Remember, DO versus MD, there really is no difference. A lot of the, the biases out there are pre-med biases. Yes, there are still probably some biases among some elite residencies. But outside of that, go be whatever you want to be. If you are interested in osteopathic medicine, great. If you just want to be a doctor and don't care about what's after your name, great, to <laughs> go, go apply everywhere. But know at the end of the day that no matter what's after your name, you're there to take care of patients. And if that means using some osteopathic manipulative therapies, Great, if that means treating uh, a head cold with some medications, great. DOs and MDs can do that. Obviously, MDs can't really do the manipulation part. That is special for osteopathic physicians. But um, it's, it's definitely something to think about at the end of the day. MD or DO, you're taking care of patients. So with that said, I hope you got a lot of great information Out of the podcast today, I want to take a second and thank a few people that have left us ratings and reviews. We have one from Daniel here who says to Allison and Ryan Gray, I couldn't express how grateful I am to have stumbled upon this podcast four years ago. Wow. Since the beginning, which was known as the Medical School HQ podcast, your mission to inform, educate, and inspire has resonated with aspiring physicians around the world. So thank you both so much. That's awesome Daniel thank you for that review and uh, I'm glad we could be here to to help spread that word. We have another one here from Kane Kane Med. This is uh this is actually Kane he was on the podcast a while ago and I got to meet him at UCF when I was there for a medical school admission symposium. I got to got to go out to dinner with about 15 pre-med students and Kane And uh, I helped Kane prepare for his interviews, and he was ultimately accepted at the University of Central Florida, going to medical school there now. And he said, this is the path to medical school. Just like it's never too late to become a pre-med, it's never too late to start using the Pre-Med Years podcast to guide you on your way to medical school, unless you already are accepted. In that case, congratulations. Ryan has produced an invaluable resource that will help you stand out from the sea of medical school applications. This is a must listen and it helped me earn a medical school acceptance. Thank you, Kane, for that review. All right, if you would like to leave a rating and review, I would love one, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. What I would love even more is your willingness to share this podcast with somebody else. Remember, we preach here collaboration, not competition. And and so sharing this podcast with a friend isn't giving away all the secrets. You are competing against yourself. So I would love for you to share this podcast with your neighbors, with your advisors, with your classmates, whoever it may be that you think would be interested in learning about the path to medical school and helping, uh, having me help them on their path to medical school. So do that. I would love it. Have a great week. Don't forget to check out all the other podcasts that we offer at MedEd Media. You can check out everything at mededmedia.com.